Hi, it's Molly. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Excel Books Podcast. I believe you're in for a treat. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Excel Books Podcast. It's your favorite host, Molly. And on my show, we like to talk about work, family, and life. If you are new to my channel, thank you so much for tuning in. It's an absolute honor to have you here. If you have been listening for a while, thank you so much for coming back. You make this worth it. You truly do. Um, I'm going to jump right into this topic. And I think before I tell you what we're talking about, I want to tell you why we're talking about it. So it is February. It is February in the USA. And and I say that because I have my listeners in Germany. And I'm so excited that you listen to all my German listeners. Oh my gosh, I love you. Um, so here it is. I am looking at February. February is a month for two big things in the USA. It is known for Valentine's Day, which recently happened. And then it is known for Black History Month. And this topic today is basically along the lines of the Black History Month, but in a different way. So most people, when they think of Black History Month, they get inspired and encouraged. It's the month where you see more and more um, merchandise about being black and you see black films on TV and you see uh, black history and you see uh, in school we do projects and speeches about it and uh, you know all the things that you can possibly think of events for it. you see African-American dances and all kinds of things things that make you feel like you are proud to be black but everyone doesn't feel that way. Everyone who's black does not feel that way about being black. And you could feel awkward for a couple of reasons. Um, it could be because you're partially black, you know, not really having quote unquote, a hundred percent black, which I've never fully agreed with that statement. No one's a hundred percent anything. There's so many cultures and people who have, uh, you know, married and, and made children from different ethnicities. I don't believe anyone is 100% of anything, but that's just Molly's theory. Um, but I want to talk about why I don't feel black. And so for those of you listening, this might ruffle a few feathers. Um, I hope it doesn't. I'm going to try to keep it as gentle as possible, but... You know, let me first start by saying I have no problem with any ethnicity whatsoever. I'm just describing that I don't feel black as a black woman. And to best paint that picture, I think we need to start at the beginning. When I was a kid, I remember being a military brat. And being a military brat instantly puts you in a completely different culture. The military is not a predominantly one race culture. It is an extremely diverse culture because Uncle Sam doesn't have any favoritism. Uncle Sam will hire anyone. You could be blue, purple, uh, polka dotted, and they will hire you. 
and they don't really care as long as you can do the job and you want the money. And they will pay through the nose to get you in there. So naturally, when you grow up as a military kid, your schools are diverse, your neighborhoods are diverse. You're used to not being in a predominantly anything ethnicity. And I remember growing up in elementary school, you know, around that kindergarten, first grade era. And I remember being one of the only African-Americans in the classroom or in the school for the most part. Like there just weren't a lot of people like me. And at that age, I was very impressionable, you know, around five or six years old, you know, most five or six year olds are still impressionable. What they see, what they hear, what they taste, what they smell, it all influences who they become. And I was surrounded by people of different diversities, but not a lot of people that look like me. So naturally, I didn't think about my ethnicity. I thought about the ethnicity of others. And I noticed the girls in the classroom and they had beautiful hair and it was either wavy and curly and, you know, brown or redhead or a blonde, which I didn't know it was blonde at the time. I called it yellow because that was the closest thing I could identify. You know, and I would come home and say, I want yellow hair. Um, I thought they were cool. I liked how they were always smiling. They seemed so different from my household. Um, You know, my childhood was filled with a lot of abuse, a lot of yelling, a lot of rage, um, a lot of just unfair things happening. And so happy smiling days were not common in my home. And so when I went to school, it was a completely different environment. People were happy. They were energetic. They were friendly. They were playful. They looked like they were taken care of. They looked like they weren't struggling. It, I naturally wanted to be a part of that. What kid wouldn't want to be a part of a happy environment when your environment at home wasn't great? And so... It wasn't a disrespect to my family, but it was, I want to go where the happy people are. I want to be like the happy people. And I saw these cute girls with blonde, yellow hair and brown hair and red hair. And they wore little argyle sweaters and pleated skirts and little penny loafers. And they looked cute as a button. And I thought, I want to be like them. And so naturally, I, I tried to speak like them and I tried to sit and act like them, and I couldn't make my hair like those, but I wanted to make it straight, and I didn't want my hair to be puffy or natural, or, you know, I wanted to look like those girls. And I remember it was really saddening, you know, for my mom, you know, coming home, because she, you know, has a strong sense of uh, Black American culture, and I didn't have that, and so to have me come home and say, I want yellow hair, I'm sure was, you know, quite devastating for her. But for me, it was just, I want to fit in. So I thought just learning to be like them would be a good thing. But it made things awkward at, not just at home, but at school. The girls and guys didn't think it was okay for me to speak like them, to act like them, to dress like them. They thought I was weird. They thought I was awkward because I was black. And that I wasn't supposed to act that way. But I didn't know any other way to act. The only other way I knew to act was a lot of yelling, for lack of a better phrase. Because that's the only thing I can remember from childhood. is just yelling and abuse. So 
I knew I didn't want to be someone who yelled. I knew that like instantly, like I will not grow up to be someone who yells, but I wasn't accepted in this diverse environment either. So it ended up making me socially awkward. I ended up playing alone, doing puzzles alone and and games alone because they just didn't accept me. And my teacher didn't accept me either. They're like, okay, why are you acting like that? Like you're African-American, you should have more pride, you know, or something in your culture. And I'm like, the whole time I'm thinking, I don't know my culture. I don't know it. So I remember from like childhood instantly being separated and realizing that there's something different about me and that I'm black. And prior to that, I didn't understand what black was, didn't even think about being black because I wasn't raised to notice color. I was never raised that way. I was raised to see people as people. And that literally stuck with me. And I'm like, why would I see it any other way? We're people. So to get that kind of thrown in my face of, you know, you're black, why are you acting like that? It's like, there's a certain way to act as a color. Who made that role? Um, You know, like, I just didn't know. So I had that awkwardness from the get-go. And not only that, that um, confusion of what my ethnicity is was reinforced when I would come home because my neighborhood was filled with diverse people because, again, we're military. So it's not like I went home and there's a ton of black kids running around. No, there was the same kind of kids in the neighborhood that were in the classroom. And when I would find a person who was black, they were just weird to me. They didn't act anything like the kids that I saw in school or most of the neighborhood. And it was just very different. and I didn't understand it. So starting off... I didn't feel black, for number one. Just didn't feel black. Um, As time progressed and I got older, I remember my mom really trying her best. And she really did try. Um, I commend her for that. She really tried to get me to understand and appreciate the African-American culture. And I want to let you know how hard this was for her as a parent from observation, because I'm, I was not a parent at the time, but I want you to know how hard it was. During my childhood, there were not a lot of African-American dolls. We didn't have dolls that were black. We didn't have, you know, dolls with kinky hair, mulatto skin and different body shapes. We didn't have that. We didn't have dolls that I could look at and say, they look like me. We didn't have that. There were no Spanish dolls. Like there weren't. You wanted a doll, it was going to be a blonde-haired white doll with rosy cheeks and blue eyes. You know, that was what you got. And the closest thing to a black doll we had was a Cabbage Patch. And so when I got this Cabbage Patch, I mean, I loved my Cabbage Patch. I kept my Cabbage Patch. I still have my Cabbage Patch. Don't judge me. Um, (laughs) But I can honestly say it didn't make me feel black. It didn't make me feel normal to have a doll that looked like that. If anything, it highlighted the fact that I'm different. It highlighted the fact that I don't fit in. And so I remember my mom, anytime they would have a doll that came out that looked remotely black, she would get it. And if she saw one that she thought she that looked kind of black, she would get it and paint the face of it and hand it to me. And for me, it was just a constant reminder of 
you're different. You're different. You're, you don't look like them. You're never going to be white. You're never going to have blonde hair. You're black. You're black. You're black. And on top of that, the colors that we had to use back then, anytime I would see like other kids coloring pictures back then, they would color pictures. And when they would color like me as the black kid or something, they would use the black crayon. And if they didn't use the black crayon, they would use the brown crayon. But the brown crayon was so dark that it might as well have been black. And I remember always thinking that just doesn't feel right. I'm like, I am not that dark. Like, I don't, that's not my complexion. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I'm not black. I'm brown. I'm brown. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And over time, it really started to make me hate my appearance even though my mother meant it for good, you know, and she got all kinds of books and pictures and surrounded the whole house with everything black. I mean, even Santa Claus was painted black um, in our house. I was like, oh God, I mean, thank you for reminding me, even in a time of year where I'm supposed to think about presents, I mean, I'm reminded that I'm black. And she meant well, but for me, it was really devastating. I've constantly felt like I was going to be inadequate for my whole life. And there was only one time that I felt, how can I say it, interested in being black. And it was a book that my mom bought me. I don't remember the name of the book, but I remember it was a purple book. Because purple is my favorite color. It was uh, a workbook style. Like it felt like a workbook. Like it was one of those, you know, bendable kind of books. And it had African-Americans all in the book. And it was showing like a big picture of them and like a whole page of an excerpt about what they did. And so I had African-American women who were the first teachers, the first astronauts, the first, um, you know, people to do anything. And it was really encouraging because for once I saw someone African-American doing a different type of career. And I, and I want to bring up why this mattered, because this is going to go into part two. We won't cover part two today, but I want to tell you why it matters. Prior to getting this book, the only knowledge I had of African-American people were that we either were soldiers or we worked in fast food. Because that's what we did. I saw every African-American working at a McDonald's or something where they had to flip burgers that was all I saw. I did not see African Americans in business, in science, in math, in, um, you know, smiled upon careers. I did not see it. The only other time I would see them is in the military. And if they were in the military, they were in the foot soldier area. They were not in a uh, highly respected role, if you will. It was like to see a male nurse was rare, to see a male, uh, see a black person doing anything other than being infantry was just odd. So when I got this book, it was refreshing. And at that point, I decided that I was not going to be a typical black person. I wanted to do something different. I knew then that I didn't have to do fast food because there are people who've done more than that. And I can be one of those people. And so that was the only time that I felt interested in being black. However, even as I grew up um, as a teenager, these being black was constantly thrown in my face because I still grew up in a military junior high school and it just became normal to me. 
it was normal to me to speak a certain way. I, you know, I liked argyle sweaters and pleated skirts and penny loafers. Why? Because that's what I grew up seeing and liking. And I didn't notice that there were more black people until I got to junior high. All of a sudden, I started to see more people of my color. Um, but I didn't fit with them. They would always say, why are you dressed like that? Again, you know, not being accepted as myself because I somehow had missed whatever the normal black memo was. Um, I was a writer, still am a writer, and I would write poems and plays and kids thought I was awkward. The only people who accepted me as whatever version of black I am were my teachers. They thought I was phenomenal. They thought I was great. And so I worked hard to get their praise because they're the only ones who made me feel like I was okay as a black person. And all of this came to a head in high school. In high school, I had to make the most painful transition of my life for me as a kid. I had to leave my life of military schools to go to a local high school. And at the time, that was the only school that they would have uh, taken us to by bus that didn't cost anything. And the reason why was this school was predominantly black and they were desperately trying to bring diversity into the school to bring about a different kind of culture. There weren't the best reputation at this school. And they thought if they brought military kids that had different exposures, different behaviors, things of that, that uh, nature, that if they kind of infiltrated the school, if you will, that it would kind of, you know, soften the culture a little bit so it wouldn't be as harsh and as predominantly black and as, you know, the, you know, have some of those negative stigmas that, that the school was exhibiting. I did not want to go to the school. I just want to put that out there. I did not. I remember being in my junior high school, my eighth grade year, and they asked me, they said, I have a choice. I can go to this high school with my ninth grade year so that I would be with the class from beginning to end, or I could go in my 10th grade year. And I said, I'll go in 10th grade. I don't want to leave. Because this was all I knew. It was like taking me from my home. It was like saying, you can't be home anymore. You have to go now live with strangers. I didn't want to do it. And when I went to this high school, everything changed. Everything changed. Uh, We're going to take a really quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you what changed in high school, how it impacted me today, and how I deal with feeling black. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, welcome back from the break. Thank you so much for tuning back in. So before our break, we talked about you know, kind of my upbringing and how I didn't feel black because I just wasn't exposed to that kind of culture and community. And we left off with me being thrown in to a black, predominantly black school environment. So as I was mentioning, I did not want to go, but I had no choice. My parents were not going to make the effort to drive me to another school um, around the corner or something. And I really wanted to go. I'm like, please take me anywhere. Take me to Pine Forest. Take me anywhere else. But I ended up going to this black school. 
And I'll never forget how I felt at that school. If I didn't feel awkward about being black before, I completely felt unaccepted when I got there. I remember being told before I started the school um, by, you know, my family that I will be accepted there. I'll realize what a great community it is. I'll realize what a, um, I'll realize all the great things about being black and I'll learn more of who I am. So I heard that all the time. You'll learn who you are um, once you get around these people. And I remember I got there and I learned very quickly that I am not like anybody else there and that I really didn't like being black. So what happened? So I remember getting there and I had been dressing the way I had been dressing for years. No one ever had a problem with my clothes. I would wear little blouses and, you know, collared blouses and a Argyle uh, vest and a skirt and my little penny loafers and I was comfortable and fine. And I got there and immediately laughed at, clowned, judged, insulted, went on for days. I'm like, gosh, didn't know how my dressing was that bad. No one else has had a problem with it in, in elementary, middle school, or junior high, but okay. And I got tired of being ridiculed every day. I mean, I would come in and I would even see teachers kind of smirk and chuckle at me. African-American teachers as if I was just the oddest thing they had ever seen. And I remember they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to class. And so I remember changing my style of dress. And I remember this transition probably was really hard for my mom, but I did it because I really was tired of the emotional abuse I was dealing with at school. So I changed my clothes. Uh, prior to going to this school, I used to wear my hair in pigtails. And if I didn't wear it in pigtails, I would wear it down, but I would always wear it down with the ends bumped and curled. I had like bangs for days, like curls, 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 curls. Why? Because that's how I always dressed. It was always pressed and straight and curled. And no one ever had a problem with my hair like that before. Everyone loved my hair. I was fine. I got to this black high school and I was judged. Who are you trying to be? You trying to be a Barbie doll? You trying to be like Barbie? You know, I mean, like, it wasn't accepted. I was laughed at. Guys that went around, they'd, like, flick my hair, like, what is this? Like, like, I just didn't fit. Even though I was no longer dressing the way I used to, they would just judge me. Um, I remember stopping curling my hair and just wearing it straight and down. No curls, nothing, just plain. And my ends were dry and I didn't use the stuff I used to use on my hair anymore and it just started to fall apart. But that's when I got accepted. When my hair started to look its worst. When I stopped dressing the way that I was. And even with that, I was told that I still didn't fit in because of the way I spoke. You talk funny. You talk weird. What's wrong with you? You trying to be white? All right, inside out Oreo. Like everything they, everything they could say. They're like, you may be black on the outside, but you're white on the inside. Like everything they would say, like all of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't black. And I just wanted to have, to go to school in peace. And so I started changing the way that I spoke a little bit. I still have quite a bit of the teaching my mom gave me, but 
a huge part of it altered because of this school. And then to make matters even worse, my education was ridiculed. The fact that I was very much a nerd. I was happy to be a nerd. I was a bookworm. I liked, that was the one thing they really couldn't take from me. I let everything else get influenced by this school, but how I liked to learn was not something I was going to let them take from me. And I remember being in class and they're like, oh my gosh, math nerd alert. You know, why don't you want to go in this uh, dance group? Don't you want to be a cheerleader? Don't you want to be in the pageant? Don't you want to do this? And I'm like, I don't want to cheer. I could care less. Um, I definitely don't want to be in some beauty class. That's the last thing I want to do. I'd rather learn about calculus. I'd rather learn about, you know, scientific theory. I'd rather learn about, um, you know, the proper way to write an essay. That's what I'd like to learn. And I didn't care that they judged me because I'm like, y'all don't like anything about me. So I would do that. But what made it worse is, you know, at the school, they made it seem like I had to be very sexual. And I'm going to keep it very PG in case we have people listening, you know, that are young. But there was this expectation that I was supposed to be a very um, casually dressed um, very nonchalant hairstyle, sexually active, not interested in key class subjects. And that was supposed to be black. And if I was really black, I would love singing, being on a football field, be obsessed with football players, want to be a cheerleader and be all about being sexy. And that was not me. And I went through three years of torture with this. The only time I felt like myself mostly, was an ROTC because I was a military brat and that's how I was raised. And the sergeant sergeant that was there at the time that was over my school, he's passed on now, um, but Sergeant Jordan was there and he was one of the only people who accepted me for who I was. He didn't judge me for how I spoke or how I sat or what I liked to learn or how I, I did things. And when I made a process manual on how to be the best ROTC person in there, he loved it and actually encouraged my work. He was one of the only teachers who didn't make me feel like a pile of poo, for lack of a better phrase, for being who I am. I'm going to go through everything I went through in high school because there's more, but I'll just say that all of that shaped me not feeling black. I went in pageants. I didn't look black because I didn't want to wear the the very provocative, revealing kind of dresses they had. I wanted to wear a different kind of dress. They didn't like me. I got to college, ended up being only accepted in a predominantly black college because the school I went to, I don't know. I don't know. I did everything. I was, I did everything I could. I was in the, um, I was in the honor roll. I graduated with honors. I, um, was in who's who among students. I did all those things, but yet no one else was like, Hey, we want to accept you in this university. Only the black schools wanted to take me. So I ended up in a black school, black college, and still wasn't accepted. So all of this shaped how I feel. And I thought this would go away. And I'll, we'll do this in part two about, you know, living black. But I remember going to work my first jobs and being treated weird. Like, why do you talk like that? Even though to my mom, I had completely lost my speech. 
I had lost the eloquent, proper use of speech that she had given me. But to everyone else, I still sounded completely weird. I wasn't black enough. When we did college and I was in a choir and they said, okay, we're going to go do this singing group and we're all going to, you know, dress. And I'm like, well, how do we dress? Well, you know, wear this and this and this. Where do I get that? I don't know how to wear this right. And I remember having black, black women teach me how to put on these clothes the way that they wore it. And I was like, why do we wear it like this? It feels like it's fallen off of me. They're like, you got to show a little something. I was like, why do I need to show something? You know, I didn't understand. And I'm like, are you okay? And I said, fine. I'm just not okay to everyone else. And even in college, I didn't feel black. And I got to work. When I got to work is the one time I started to feel like myself again because most of the people I worked around were not black. And the people that were black didn't work anywhere in the field that I did. But I was still looked at as odd because I was the one who went to do programming and formulas and computers and reports and management and just things that were natural to me. So I said all that to say this. Feeling black was not something easy. Matter of fact, I'm going to go there on one other thing on this. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. It wasn't just how others made me feel. It was also how my mother was treated. So one of the things that I think is absolutely stunning about my mother, I think of all the things that are great about her, this is the one thing I think is just uniquely beautiful. My mother is African-American, but she doesn't look like a typical African-American either. Her skin is extremely pale, very, very yellow in tint. And I got clowned at school because her skin tone was lighter. And I watched my mother, who did everything she could to teach me about culture, I watched her have her own silent struggles with culture as well, with feeling black, changing the hair, trying to get you know, hairstyles and things that looked more black, Um, you know, things that made her more accepted with her tone, you know, wearing certain things and, you know, uh, just trying to fit in her own way. And I remember being clowned at high school because my mom worked um, at one of these pizza places. I think she worked at Domino's at one point. And she would bring, she was so awesome, she would bring like tons and tons of pizzas for free to the classroom and everybody loved me for the pizzas but that was the only reason they liked me and they wouldn't talk to me any other time of the year but if they knew they were having a party they'd be like hey so uh can you get your mom to bring pizzas and I remember at one point I was like I'm not having to bring anything all of you don't like me get your own pizza you know and that was when they started to apologize and like no you're just greedy Um, But I remember them saying, you know, she doesn't, you don't look like your mom. Are you guys okay? Are you mixed? And they would ask me if I was mixed because she was lighter. And I remember thinking that's so unfair. I'm like, who defined, who made the rule that to be black, you had to look a certain skin tone? Who made that rule that said to be black, I have to dress a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, wear my hair a certain way, be interested in certain things? Who made this rule? I want to meet them because we need to have a talk. And this shaped a lot of how I feel about being black. So currently, as an adult, as a mom, um, 
with two amazing young black men and I married a black man. We, how can I put it? Emphasizing being black in our family is a very fluid concept. I don't put a lot of emphasis on it. Number one, because I really truly believe in what my mother taught me of not really focusing on color. Color is not important. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I accept you. Um, I don't care if you're LGBTQ+. I accept you. Um, That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is your character, how you treat me, how you treat others. And based on that, that's how I, I interact with you. Everything else doesn't matter. I don't care about your money status, your background, where you grew up. None of that. None of that matters. How are you as a person? And so for me, it has pretty much forced me as an adult to accept that I just don't fit. Um, and sad in a way. But I've kind of come to terms with it. Um, I thought I was, I thought maybe that awkwardness would change when I got older, but it didn't. I thought that if I saw more black history films and I thought that as the doll industry changed and we saw more African-American toys, that I would feel different and I don't. I thought that if I bought things that were more black in style and I tried it for a number of years, I tried wearing things that were more traditionally black in style and off-the-shoulder looks and, um, you know, things of that nature, you know, provocative outfits and things of that nature. It didn't make me feel black. I tried listening more to quote-unquote black music, didn't feel more black. I was always looked at as weird when I did listen to it because at my core, I was just different. And... I think what sealed the deal for me as an adult telling me that I need to just give up on feeling black and just feel myself was when I went to a high high school reunion. I went to my 20-year high school reunion, and by the time we got to that reunion, I I knew a lot about myself. I knew what I could eat, what I couldn't. I knew how I liked to speak. I knew what I was interested in. I knew my own personal style of dress, although my husband would probably beg to differ and say, you're still discovering your style of dress. I'm like, no, I'm not. This is how I like to dress. Um, it just doesn't seem like a style to you. Um, I remember going to the reunion and going to the barbecue. The barbecue was the most embarrassing part for me. It was like, why am I even here? I actually ended up leaving. Um, I remember I went to the barbecue we're out on the field, surrounded by black people, tons, like black people for miles. We're on the football field. So they're all out there. Every square inch is full of tents and black people and loud black music and, you know, black cheerleaders and just everything there is to be black. Now, I couldn't eat 90% of what was provided, but I did eat what I could. And I brought some extra snacks with me because I know I have like a really delicate digestion system. And I remember being there and everybody still was looking at me like I was weird. Now, I was wearing what they were wearing. I wasn't wearing anything weird. I had on blue jeans. I had blue jean shorts because it's middle of summer. It was hot. Blue jean shorts. I had my high school um, reunion shirt on, some sneakers, had my hair in a um, thing. I had my hair down, you know, like everybody else was wearing it, had my little makeup on, whatever. I look cute. I look no different than everybody else. And still, 
I guess the aura that I give is that I'm different. And people didn't talk to me. They avoided me. I'm surrounded with 100 plus people from my graduating class. Not one person is coming over to say, hey, let's sit and chat. Hey, how's life been? Hey, it's so good to see you. What's new? None of that. I literally sat there by myself. Now sitting in the chair, eating my snacks in the shade. Everybody else is grubbing. I didn't dance to the music because I don't like the music. It's just not what I like to listen to. I like Sinatra. I like opera. I like country music. I like, um, I like, I like rock and roll. I like everything else. Um, I like rap, but I like Christian rap and I'm even selective on that. Like I'm very different. And so after about an hour and a half of this, I was like, you know what? I quit. And I literally packed up my stuff and just left. And I remember they're like, you're leaving. Yeah, I'm leaving. Oh, we're getting ready to have that. No, I'm fine. Thank you. Bye. They're like, will we see you next year? No, I will never be back. And I meant it. I'm not coming back to another class reunion. And and I hope this message doesn't come across. This episode doesn't come across as, oh, my gosh, you know, hate high school, hate being black. That is not the message at all. So I want to clarify that there is nothing wrong with being black. Nothing wrong with it. I think that the problem is that we have to start accepting people as themselves and not put a definition on what black is. Black can be anything. Black can be light skin, dark skin. Black can be, you know, really into science or not into it. Black can be really liking cooking or hating cooking. Black can be I can sing or I can't. You know, black can be I'm sexy or I'm I'm not sexy. Black can be anything. Black is just a a history. It's an ethnicity, but it is not a personality. Black is not an appearance. It's literally just a ethnicity. It's a group. And no one gets to control what that group needs to look like, be like, or sound like. And so I want to say this as an encouragement that if you are listening today and you've ever felt awkward being black, if you've ever felt like, wow, I just don't fit and I don't know how to feel about Black History Month, I'll say this. Know that you do fit in to Black History Month. You're the different side of it. You're the addition. You're the future. You don't have to do what traditional black people have done to be black. You know, life is about evolution and becoming something new, becoming something that you didn't know you could be and stretching your limits. And who's to say that your differences aren't the evolution of being black? I will also say, don't let it give you a prejudice. One thing I can say is, despite all of the things that I shared with you today, I don't feel any hatred towards anyone that's black. I don't feel any, you know, ill will, you know, towards anyone. I just don't feel comfortable in all black environments. I'd much rather be around Caucasians. Why? Because that's just normal for me. Because that's how I grew up. And that's where I was accepted. Um, But I don't have any issue with the history. and And I will dare say this, keep trying, keep trying, keep, keep learning about black culture, keep exploring, keep giving yourself more knowledge. 
um, we perish for lack of knowledge, you know, the Bible says. And if we keep learning, I believe we'll get some of the peace and clarity that we really want. And I want to encourage all of you who feel awkward to not give up on yourself, to accept yourself first. Because you can't guarantee that anybody else is ever going to accept you, but you can accept you. And as long as you can accept you, you're okay. If the whole world thinks you're odd, that's fine. If you don't know anyone else in this world who thinks you're okay, hear my voice. I accept you. You're okay. You're all right. You're uniquely wonderful the way that God made you. And there's nothing wrong with your differences. All right. So that's all I have for today's episode. I'm actually going to come back with a part two with you. We're going to talk about what it means to live black. And I'm going to have my wonderful hubby with me in that episode, special guest, um, to talk about how we've approached living black uh, from all aspects, from being you know male, female, in work environments, school environments, all of that. We're going to go there. So, um, and please, I want to hear your questions. If you're like, hey, can you talk about this? Or how did you deal with this? Or what happened at that scenario? Send me a question, hit me up, email me at xelbooks at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram at xelbooks. I would love to hear from you or just go to my website, xelbooks.com. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Excel Books podcast with Molly. You can find more helpful resources and services at xelbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please send us a message at xelbooks.com or email xelbooks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again next time for more tips on work, family, and life.